Welcome to Hospitality. I'm Stefan Zarnecki of Black Tie Tours. With me, as always, Wesley Jones of Tour Cascadia and local artist Cole Rogers. That's what they call me. Yeah, it is. And uh, we are joined today uh, by a special guest. We are at Bells Up Winery here in the uh, the Shehalem AVA. Mm-hmm. And uh, this person is a musician. A former musician. A winemaker. <laughs> that's, and, co- that's correct. And most importantly... An Orlando Magic fan? It oh. happens to the best of us sometimes. David Spector. Well, the worst. Maybe. <laughs> David Spector's here. Thank you, well, Why the Magic? Why? See, I, I have a tortured, tortured soul. I, <laughs> yeah, just, I grew up in the Orlando area back in the 80s. Okay, right. For years and years, I have family in, in eastern Pennsylvania that used to visit, so I grew up rooting for a lot of the Philly area teams, but I never really no, lived no there. So when the Magic yeah. came around, 1989, this is like oh. the very first hometown team oh, yeah. that I ever had. And a year later, we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, oh. and I haven't been to a game since. Uh, no way. It's a story of my life, that man. That is sad. But, get, you, get, but, you got, but you were there for like Penny and Shaq. Well, not no. There, not there, but you were a fan. <laughs> no, I, I was you there for Scott Skiles. Uh, Nick Anderson, uh, I mean, you, you talk, Mark Akers, you talk about the dregs of the NBA that first year. That, that was a (laughs) fascinating team. But that, that'd be like start, uh, we, you know, started an NFL team in Portland in the middle of me being in, you know, middle school or elementary school. But then moving away. Yeah, but I'd still be a hardcore <laughs> fan. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so they didn't, of course, get good until a few years after I'd moved. I mean, I think it was the first year they made the finals was 95, six years after the team started. Well, Shaq, Shaq was there. Shaq was there at that point. At that Shaq point. Yeah, yeah. and Penny Ripping at that time. down. I never realized they were such a young exhibition yeah. team at the time. Shaq was in his heyday there. Oh, yeah. Huh. yeah. Remember, it, I thought the Magic were the coolest when I was like that age. They, they had were. great swag. Uniforms. Shaq, yeah. Pretty I, much determines which team is the coolest yeah. when you're young. <laughs> As like a 13 year I like this. Yeah. Well, got like, I like the Bengals, yeah. and then you're like the worst team in the NFL. <laughs> I remember. When I was like with, really little, boy, you could draw the uniforms. We're, we're going to have to talk if about you your Bengals fan. You're still well, a Chargers I'm a true, fan. I'm a true Chargers fan, but okay. when I was like a little, little kid, I was obsessed with, with uniforms, and I would draw. Absolutely. I would make up teams, and I would draw like, uh, you know, Jaguars versus That's awesome. Snakes, and yeah. I'd make their uniforms up, and I thought the Bengals uniforms were so cool because they had the stripes in yeah, their But helmets. you were also kind of obsessed with animals fighting each other, too. Yeah, that was like that's, that's a whole other episode. Like, what would uh, my a, entire a, life. a bull mouse fighting a you know yeah, like, a, like a, a bull, bull rattlesnake? Yeah, but the bull mouse has a machine gun. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. Like, yeah, these are the these are the, the these questions are my parents things. grew up me asking, rather <laughs> than like rather than like philosophical thoughtful things. Where, they're, so where they go to their friends you. and say like, "Man, my son said something really insightful today." My mom was like, "My son just asked me whether a jaguar could actually beat a tiger in a fight." You know, and then that show came out. With like the yeah, like animal, that they'd symbol, oh, they'd, uh, it's like they, extreme they animal the, battle or something like that. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah, it's like this too is late. Cool. Too bad I was in college when that came out. <laughs> I, thought, I thought for sure it was your idea. I mean, I still watched it. A man ahead of your time. Yeah. But now, did you have you adopted any local? Did you did you have you adopted? Oh, I, the, the I will Blazers absolutely root for the Blazers. They are my number one Western Conference team. There you go. I mean, the nice thing, thing is when you're on here. two completely polar opposite sides of the country, you almost never really have to worry about choosing a side. When yeah. you root for two bad teams, also they well, very rarely uh, pretty, meet in the finals. So pretty much, yeah. pretty much. At absolutely. least the Blazers. At Come, home. Coming from a Chargers fan, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, Wesley. I mean, we don't have to get into my fandom <laughs> too much, but. 
All right, so Dave, you you've got an interesting story. You started uh, in a in your garage with a yep. got a got a home winemaking kit. Did that kit come with the juice? Too? Oh, it came with That's the juice. So it, it came with everything. And, then, and, and then with you, the step by step idiot proof instructions. Not it. that I didn't try to screw it up, but I mean, you, presumably they they teach you. Yep, step one, do okay, this. Okay, now step two, here's a question: If you get the kit in the mail and you just leave it for a year, just sitting there, will that juice turn into wine? No. Okay. No, because what, what what they give you is it's a vacuum sealed and it's just okay, the juice yeah. and then the yeast is in a separate packet. All right. Now, I'm scared to think about in some of the cases, I mean, you look on the store shelves when you buy these things and there are expiration dates, but you wonder how long some of those juice packets have been sitting around. And especially where yeah. we were in Cincinnati at the time, I mean, there was a winemaking community, but it certainly wasn't as robust as some others. So, uh, you, yeah. you know, you're never quite sure. But it, it that first one at least... As I always say, that the very first one we made was a Rioja. It, it, I've made worse wines than that. Yeah, there you go. You, know, so, it, it you haven't worse. sold worse. Wines. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> no, so you started, you started with the the kit, and then you moved on to grapes, mm-hmm. and then you got into a, a winemaking club, like a co-op type thing. I think. Yeah, we uh, at at that time. So there was a there was a a winemaking group in Cincinnati um, that I got that I became a part of. Uh, the probably the funniest thing about it is I was probably the youngest person in this group by a good 25 years. I mean, we saw wow. a lot of like old guy winemaking in this. I like it. And and you kind of it, what's Make interesting it about it? Oh oh yeah. Well, it runs one of the either extremes. I mean, there's almost nothing in the middle. You've either got people that have really honed their craft over 25, 30 years, and they're making some absolutely out of the world phenomenal stuff that you would never expect. But it goes the other way too, man. I mean, oh, the, yeah. then you end up with like oh, the I can't done? smell or taste anything, and I just threw stuff in there, and well, it's good enough, so we're gonna put it in the <laughs> bottle and put. Hey, it'll get yeah. me fucked up, so cork it. Yeah, damn. Yeah, well, and, and you just hope that cork is gonna stay in the bottle and not at some point <laughs> blow up out of it. Yeah. You do learn after a while. It's like you know whose wines are you gonna trust and whose wines you just kind of best. All right, so you saw the good, bad, and the ugly. Exactly. You were. Which one of those? No, I'm just kidding. And then uh, depended on the batch, could be all three. Yeah, there you go. And then so you you started thinking you were you're doing a little tasting, going out visiting spots. You came out here, and then eventually you worked out. You made your way out here with the purpose, with yeah. the sole purpose of making wine. Sole purpose right? of doing exactly mm-hmm. what we do. And you learned under Brian. At Alexana, he, correct? He was, he was a wonderful, wonderful, he, he's still a great friend. And the thing about Brian that I respect more than anything is when, when I was approaching him about doing a harvest internship, here's a guy coming out in his mid to late, mid to late 30s. I am not your typical harvest intern. Brian looked at what I was doing and didn't even bat an eye and said, hmm. we'd love to have you in. At the time, Alexana was moving into the new facility that they're hmm. in now. So it was wow. their first year. They didn't have their lab done. They, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't done. Brian did an amazing job of getting us all through Harvest that year mm-hmm. and, and getting us through. The other great thing about that experience was uh, Lynn Penner Ash was still consult doing a lot of consulting at the time during yeah. Harvest. So I mean, I got to work directly with these two superstars of the mm-hmm. Valley. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm so thrilled to still be able to you know call them friends and folks that have really shaped what I do here. Mm-hmm. What a, yeah, how fortunate is that? Wow. Mm-hmm. And then you ended up at Adia. And ended up at Adia. That's where we began our production. Yeah, you started making, making your wine there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we started out, you know, we, we've always said from day one, we're a small place. That's all we want to be. You know, at the moment we're making 500 cases, we said the max we'd ever do is 1,000. But when we started out, we were even only doing about 250. Yeah. And we're doing all the tastings on our property here that we're sitting. But there was that point where, you know, you're not making quite enough wine to justify the cost of going out and buying all the equipment and that. Sure. And sure. it took about five years to sort of get to that point. And then finally last year, 
year, 2019, we said, you know what? I'm looking at those numbers penciling out. And, you know, it was a great time. We had at idea, you know, working with Dean was fantastic. Um, I still work with his daughter, Erica, as a consultant. She's amazing and really keeps us mm-hmm. on track and, and make sure that, you know, we're not screwing anything up. Um, but it was time. It was time to kind yeah. of forge our own path and, and do things. And the nice thing is here we, we've got now we do everything except bottling on site. So, hey, I mean, during harvest, I can do punch downs in my pajamas if I yeah, want. Yeah, now we're talking. <laughs> so I, I, that's so you really kind of worked your way up kind of in your own own your own sort of path and so i i it's i think the the winemaking lifestyle is enticing oh yeah and mm-hmm. we obviously have been enticed as we've discussed mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Hmm, what why not us yeah why not us make a little wine so uh, what give me a little reality give me a, give me a little like uh whether it's advice or warning or whatever like you have somebody come to you maybe like me or maybe like a customer yeah. and they say oh man i want to make some wine what, yeah. what what do you say to that I always say understand why you're doing what you're doing because making the wine is the easy part. I mean, we are blessed here to have a lot of amazing vineyards and access to a lot of amazing grapes. Yeah. Making wine, it, it is science, but it's not rocket science. And it can be learned. I mean, I was an attorney before I got into making wine, so I don't have any sort of chemistry training in all this. There are a few Just things. Just blood you can sucking. Learn. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. other than the yeah. obvious. Exactly right. <laughs> so, I mean, there are a few things you need to learn, but they can be learned. The hard part comes with the other parts mm. of the business. It's the selling. It's it's just run. It's the, with the part of any running any business. You know, if you know what you want to be, it's going to be a whole lot easier. I mean, just to give you an example, for us, we said we're a small place, so we scale everything that we do in this operation for a small place. Mm. We didn't overbuy. Mm. We we don't have a big space. You know, we we didn't overspend on the equipment. Things like that, we we say we're going to focus directly, 100% on selling our wines direct to consumer. We're not the least bit interested in going into distribution of any kind, shops, restaurants. Conscious choice that we make in order to make the business something that works for a very small number of people. And you see everything through that lens. Exactly. Exactly. But we've seen, and you know, we we all see it in the Valley. You know, we've seen folks that kind of started that way, and then at some point they have to make a decision. You know, things grow, they become successful and then they start doing other things and start chasing other other ideas one of the things I was so lucky when I first got into this business I got to sit down for about three hours with Myron and Vicki Redford Uh, and you know they were so generous with their time Um, and one of the biggest things that Myron told me was he said you know the thing that I most regret is I would get into these situations where when something happened in the market, I felt this need to chase it as mm. opposed to mm. saying, you know what, this is what I'm good at. This is what I do. This is who we are. And just being really, really focused on that mm-hmm. says he, yeah. he chased so many things down that he felt he wasted his time over the years. And that so I like me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you said it. I did. Yeah. <laughs> that's, really, that's, Ooh, really, shiny. Uh, that's really good advice. In anything, I think probably, but especially in this industry when you can. You could go so many different directions. Right. Um, something we briefly talked about, um, but you'd have a lot of uh, experience with this, is have you ever, did you ever, when you were first starting out, have that feeling they call like imposter syndrome, where you question yourself a lot because you're around so many wonderful winemakers and amazing minds? Certainly when we when we first came out here. 
Um, absolutely. I mean, you, you go through that, that whole confidence period where, yes, you know how to make wine, but it's obviously you're, you're in a whole different ballgame when you're here. I think yeah. the thing that benefited me the most was before we spent a dime getting into uh, the industry out here, I spent three years working for uh, in the cellar for a little urban winery in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So I really learned, when you talk about from the ground up, I mean, it's from the basement up. Of course, all the things in winemaking that I, I do now here – but you're actually doing it, you know? And, and I yeah. think, so for when we came here, when people started hearing our story and hearing how we prepared ourselves, how we built that sense of not, that, that knowledge and, and that experience, folks went out of their way to help us and to offset mm. and give mm-hmm. advice. And, and I'll tell you too, you know, the industry here has been phenomenal about sharing the, their successes, their failures, their the, what they wish they had done, um, because we asked a lot of people a lot of questions, hmm. you know. Sure. And I, I think I, I can tell you that from what I've heard from other from some other winemakers, they're actually shocked that hmm. people actually somebody actually listened to yeah. them for a change. Yeah, sure. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Um, so we're drinking a tasty ass wine right now. Tell us about so it. So delicious. Yeah. So this is uh, the wine. The name of the wine is Helios. Um, and we can get into all the naming conventions later. But this is named for a grape called Seval Blanc, S-E-Y-V-A-L, which is a grape that good luck finding it in, in Oregon well, with one exception. But uh, other than us, we are the only planting in the valley of this particular grape. Yeah. And it's a hybrid grape. It is a crossbreed between a traditional French grape called Siebel and a Native American grape. It was uh, developed mm. up at Cornell up in Western New York. The reason that grapes like this exist is because if you're growing in the Midwest or on the East Coast, you've got something that we don't really see much of here on the West Coast, really cold freaking winters. Mm -hmm. So what you're trying to do with this breeding process is build in some of the cold hardiness that these Native American grapes have. So, of course, every time you do something like this, you're going to get a grape with a very unique flavor and aroma profile. This absolutely has that. Um, And I would say about 80% of the grapes that you end up with are really just weird, especially for folks that are kind of more used to traditional varietals, either the vinifera type of, of grapes. Um, what I love about Saval Blanc is that it retains that traditional French parentage on, especially on the flavor. Right. Um, it's yep. not derived from Sauvignon Blanc, but the thing I think it will remind most people of is Sauvignon Blanc, which yep. we just don't have enough of planted right. here in the valley. I yeah. know, I'm a huge Sauvignon Blanc fan, but when it's really pissy, it can go bad. Uh, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> give me, Understood. give me, give me the tropical soft yeah. blocks. Those are those are the tits. Great Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, it's delicious. Now, um, you also sell well and make Syrah. So you've got so Syrah typically grown in slightly warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, I know yours is a cool climate Syrah. Well, it's it's coming from Milton Freewater, so okay. uh, northeastern Oregon, right across the state line from Walla Walla. Okay, um, so but no, I yeah. make it uh, essentially the vineyard that I'm sourcing the fruit from is very unusual and makes it more like a cooler weather Syrah because it's okay. up on top of a mountain as mm. opposed to being down on the valley floor. Mm. Gotcha. Do you? I mean, there, there's Syrah popping up hmm? kind of everywhere. Like, there's a lot of people doing doing a little bit of Syrah. Everybody, everywhere you go, you talk to winemakers. The climate's warming. Right here. I mean, you see. I mean, you see the same things. What do you, I mean, you think Syrah is going to be the next big push, or is it kind of? Are we like twenty years out from that? I or? think we're a good twenty years out. I I do think that we're going to be doing some pushes for some other things. I mean, Tempranillo would be an example of something I think we're going to start to see more and more planted of. Hmm. 
one of the fun things I think that I'm seeing happening in the industry now that I'm really excited about is folks are starting to find some other varietals to plant. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually going to start doing that here. We've got about three acres on the lower part of our field, and we're going to start planting some more obscure northern Italian red varietals. Sweet. Oh, good, um, good, good. And, and just sort of go from there and start small. But, you know, what the reason that we do Syrah in the first place was I, I wanted to have a red that was just not Pinot in addition to what we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that I think that's just really, really important for just the the idea of saying, okay, it's obviously Pinot country, but we have so many visitors who tell us, my God, I've had like 25 Pinots today. Sure. Thank God you've got something yeah. else. Absolutely. Do you pour it every time? I pour it every time. Yep. Yeah. Mm. That's good to know. Yep. Yeah. I think you're totally right. And uh, I, I'm loving the Syrah. I've tasted the, the Britain one. We should do a Syrah list. Yeah, yeah, there's Robert enough. Is awesome. yeah, put it yeah, awesome. yeah. Good. All right. Well, we got to take a little break, uh, but we will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Haas Brutality. Now is the time of the podcast where we make a little top five list. Really, it's like a top 15, top 14. We're cheating. We're, we do our own top fives. <laughs> um, and tonight we're talking about top five downtown wineries. Uh, Dave, you said you worked in kind of an urban, urban winery setting yep, uh, yep. in your earlier days. And they are. Are downtown wineries underappreciated? I think they are by me <laughs> because yeah. my guests typically like they, they're hiring a driver to go out to the vineyards and everything like that. Yeah. But there's so much good wine in downtown um, tasting rooms that I don't get to take people to. And it kind of sure. kills me. It kind of kills me. Well, there's so much value in offering folks a list when they're on their way back to Portland to catch a mm -hmm. flight or they have an extra day they're out with the driver. When they're paying hourly to be with the driver, they want those unique experiences. Yeah. But there's yeah. some killer tasting rooms. And if you're, <clears throat> like, if, if, when people talk about back in the day and a lot of, like, nice food places, they talk about hole in the wall. Yeah. You don't find a lot of hole in the wall places that are sitting on beautiful vineyards. So yeah. if you're trying to find, like, an up-and-coming or a young mm -hmm. winemaker who potentially is making this awesome something new, right. a yeah. downtown place is a good place to look because they're not going to be able to afford a... A beautiful site. Right. Well, and some just have vineyard sites that are so far away from the main toury areas. Yeah, they're they still making wine. great wine. They still want to capture that downtown Absolutely. audience. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and actually, as far as like up and comers, that brings me to. Oh, you're no Wesley's going for it. Come on, come on, Wesley's get, going get for it. Together. Excuse me, I'll, I'll get to mine. I got to crane my neck to see my list. That's such a good one. Um, Abbey Creek is my favorite. They just opened a downtown Portland tasting room, but they've had one out um, past Hillsboro for quite a while and i'm forgetting the name of the little town uh it's past forest grove um anyway cornelius or something yeah or what's out there i don't know what's out something there. Is, we'll, is, we'll make a note in the sip on that's your job sure you I get will. to make notes i'll, I'll be right on <laughs> abbey creek it's out it's on abbey creek obviously abbey creek <laughs> just follow abbey creek on the map <laughs> uh evening land definitely uh, the downtown dundee tasting room a lit another downtown dundee tasting room um well, it's great for buyers of the entire spectrum, whether you're trying to get something that's affordable, grow champagne for $35 or $150 Rose and Arrow. Yeah. You know, which they're all fantastic. And yeah. Paul does a great job with their tasting room. Yeah. Um, Dynamic. Dynamic. R. Stewart, McMinnville. Cute. Some really good little bubbles. Little bubbles. That sounds condescending. I'm sorry. <laughs> normal size bubbles. Though. My mouth was my mouth was moving they, faster aren't than the I meant. Little bubbles more desirable though. <laughs> they are. You want the small bubbles? That's true. true. I digress. High food, but that's downtown McMinnville. Yeah, you're just strolling around. Right. Oh, I just had a little lunch. I could use a little tasty taste. And right now, downtown Perfect. McMinnville has closed down the entirety of Third Street for outdoor 
seating for restaurants. So it's slow. just like a big festival so awesome. almost. Yeah. Yeah. Allow those restaurants to have a little bit more seating. Yeah. Um, another McMinnville tasting room, Elizabeth Chambers, mm-hmm. which I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. I've got a beautiful old historic building that they sort kind of, of repurposed. The Pinot Ghetto. Yeah. That's yeah. over there. We got another, at least one more from the Pinot Ghetto coming Back up. towards oh, yeah. the, the granary the district. The are beautiful though. That, uh, yeah. The Chambers. Right, yeah. Well, and they, they partnered with food trucks too. So for a long time they were doing pizza like mm-hmm. on Friday nights and it's, yeah, special yeah. little spot. Cool. A little. Yeah. I did it again. And if you're um, in light of recent events, if you're trying to support black, local black um, business owners. Right. Um, Bertoni. Bertoni. Or Abbey, Abbey Creek. Yep, at Abbey Creek. Abbey Creek. Yep. Abbey yep. Creek's a place that we find, we think we want to, you know, make a, uh, he well, makes and it's a, really it's a good cool wine. vibe. It's one of those vibes too yeah. that's just inclusive to everyone. Yeah. Like he has a DJ that spends Friday and Saturday nights. Yeah. And it just feels like family. You show up and he's in... He's also the only winemaker I know that's sponsored by Carhartt. Like he, <laughs> he has a shoe deal and a clothing it's deal. It's his brand. Yep. It's it's yeah. him. Hell yeah. And yeah. you walk in and there's there's paintings of like Biggie on the wall and yep. his DJ's yeah. going and there's a vibe. It really it really feels like family. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend all the yeah. places Wesley talked about, but definitely that's something I want to make yeah. a point of. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, up and coming winemakers, I was going to mention Will over at Violin Wines makes his wine in downtown. Amity, I gotta never get out there. Hardly ever, but it's it's a hike. Those wines yeah. are dynamite, and his his uh, lower priced wines are a steal. Mm. Uh, and and Will's a great guy, super down to earth, and mm. he's, he looks like he's sponsored sponsored by Carhartt. Just you know, uh, totally cool guy. Great wines. Um, Medfin downtown Dundee. Yeah. They have done such a great job of making that tasting room like a scene. Yep. Because they're doing yeah. even during COVID right now. They've got that lawn, and they're doing music like Wednesday through Sunday or something. Yeah, and they're they're and they're doing it. Well, and they have the Copitos truck right there too. Oh, and right the Copitos yep. truck, so you can get yep. gorgeous Mexican food and yeah. then go yep. eat, listen to some music. And you yeah. get one of my favorite people in the valley, Shanna Ellis, as taste room manager. Oh, yeah, yes. she's, she's awesome. a hoot. riot. Love that woman. Yeah, she's you're gonna amazing. have some fun if you show her a little spunk. Mm-hmm. She'll give you a lot of spunk. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, I, <laughs> and she has a story for everything. Yep. <laughs> Dinner and a show. No, yeah. it's a good spot um, for sure. Uh, and then let's see, Irie down in the Pinot Ghetto Absolutely. in McMinnville. Uh, they always pour something from the library. So if you want to see how Oregon Pinot ages, they love giving you that pour, you know, in 86 or 93, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, just like, hey, check this out. And they um, they have that huge deep cellar yep. uh, library program where you can, you can buy those older bottles that yep. they actually like test. They, they extract some of the wine and mm-hmm. test it and make sure that it's still kicking so they can guarantee, like, this this wine's still rocking. Yep. We'll sell it to you. I mean, it ain't cheap, but shit, I mean, it, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's How many other places, though, are you going to get bottles from the 80s? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a worth the style, definitely. Yeah, especially if you're staying in downtown McMinnville and right. you're walking around and it's a little bit more of a hike going out there, but the history there is awesome. Yeah. Um, Flaneur, mm. downtown Carlton. Yeah. Uh, one of the coolest little towns in the area, probably the coolest little town. Uh, I mean, the money that they put into fixing up that um, that grain was it a grain elevator? Yeah, grain elevator. Yep. And they've got a beautiful mm-hmm. patio. The wines are really good. Nice Chardonnay program going mm-hmm. there now. They have a Pinot Meunier, I think. Um, good wines there. Good atmosphere. It's a it's a cool. And spot. Grant's just dynamite as a winemaker. Lights out. Yeah. yeah. Awesome yeah. And then uh, another downtown Carlton place, Tendril. Different, mm-hmm. uh, different vibe. Mm-hmm. 
and but their uh, Tony's wines are very very good. He's got the two different flights. He's got the child's play flight, kind of the the the, the, the cheaper wines, but still very good. And then he's got the tendril wines. A little, some of them are pretty pricey, but also good. Um, you can have a little picnic there on the lawn. It's right there yeah. by Ken Wright's um, winery, and they're super chill. They've got it. Um, I, I love. Uh, the warmth over there, like you feel like welcome, like they're just happy to have you there. Yeah, you know, and and it's an important uh, mm-hmm. thing to have. Away. <laughs> please, please, nice. To know. <laughs> yeah, Can we please keep that in the valley. Um, don't, make, don't make everything so fucking hard, okay? Yeah, just you just know, be welcoming and just, kind. Yeah, that'll take care of half the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe it's just me. That people are just getting tired of me. No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, I'll start off with Purple Hands, of course. Uh, I'm a big fan of that tasting room. The building is really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, during harvest, you can often go back and have like a little tour of what they're doing. Uh, the winery is so close to the tasting room. It's it's a good a cool experience. Um, Argyle because I mean the bubble the bubbles are you, you can get a flight of bubbles like no nowhere else in the mm-hmm. valley. Yeah. Um, Beautiful space. Yeah. yeah. The the they redid their tasting room a few years ago and it was uh it's it's beautiful space um dobbs also redid their tasting room they, they have a really nice garden in the back it's a good place to bring yeah. lunch you can bring food there yep yeah. um a lit oh i agree with everything wesley said yeah. about the place it's yeah. uh the it's just a it's a small space but they've done a really good job with kind of everything that's there is it looks like it's where it needs to be where it's supposed to be right and then ken Wright, uh he took the old train station in downtown Carlton and renovated it, made it into a, a really cool uh, little space. So, yeah. I love Ken Wright's. Wines are pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, they don't suck. Not they bad. Suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and I like they put out the the little mat place mat for you. Yeah. And they, you know, have everything labeled of, of what you're drinking. They pour them all at the same time, so yep. you can taste them side by side. Yeah, it's a, yeah. an educational. Uh, yeah. Well, an education well. too. If you go to their website and you want to learn anything about the history of their vineyards, Ken put together. Were you at the? I went with you, I think, to the Linfield lecture. Yeah. That Ken gave. Yeah. And he did all of the lineage as far back as records exist huh. of who owned what are now his vineyards, what was planted on them, the family history, pays homage to all those families. Wow. And you can go to their website and pull it all up. Yeah. Ken's yeah. a great educator in general. Yeah. He's, uh, he does not hold back on his opinions, and it's kind of refreshing, too. It's <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. At this one, he's earned the privilege. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What are you saying about us, though? Uh, Whippersnappers. Uh, we are. Yeah. That's true. We yeah. haven't earned it yet. But yeah, keep... Do you have any favorites, Dave? You know, I, there are there are some that I, I really like that I would add to that. One is kind of in the, in the same area that Evening Land is, Lake Adu, um, mm. owned oh, yeah. by a, a good friend of mine, Tom Mortimer. He is yep. I, went, before we moved here from uh, from Cincinnati. Uh, Tom had brought his wines to the Cincinnati International Wine Festival. Huh. I went to meet, and I didn't know who he was, but we at the time we were just trying to connect and and you know network with any winemakers sure. we could. Yeah. And Tom doesn't make the wines; he owns the place. But uh, absolutely one of the nicest, most genuine individuals. Mm-hmm. His his presentation that he has on how his vineyards are over up on Parrot, on Parrot Mountain. His presentation on the boulders that he had to dig out yep. in order to get that vineyard up and running wow. is just crazy to huh. see in in person. Um, so yeah, they're they're absolutely and their wines are fantastic. Definitely worth yep. a visit. Um, another one, Fox Farm, right in downtown Dundee, yes. is uh, yep. my buddy Dave Fish. Dave, between yep. Dave, Dave's a great guy. Um, and with he's there. 
and he's there, and that's the thing. Yeah. And he's got a really diverse selection. Yeah. Um, and he has, well, I, I don't know what they do with live music anymore, but pre-COVID, he had a good amount of live performers mm-hmm. in. Um, and, and the other thing, nice thing, is they tend to be open later. So they're open till 7. I think yeah. Meth yeah. Men was open till 8. So if, you know, folks were in a place and you were asking, you know, hey, where can I hit, you right. know, one last place, like either right before, right after dinner, that's another good spot. Sure. Yeah. Well, and the lid is open. They're right next door to them. They're open till 7 as well. Till so 7 as well. Okay. It's a good that's corner good to, know, to be yeah. at if you're going to end your day somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Because you got all those restaurants right in downtown yeah. Dundee so that's that's a nice one and then the other one I, I really also like is artisanal right down here in, in downtown mm-hmm. Newburgh yeah, um, family owned and operated they've been I mean they've been there forever making really really great stuff um, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, Newburgh kind of has a downtown Newburgh has that different vibe than than downtown Mac. So you know, it's it's not quite like you know tasting room restaurant or so on. And you know, it's just not always as obvious. But you know, when you find those little hole in the wall places, you just get that vibe of like you can just go in and relax and you just feel like you're at home. Yeah, there are, there are, there are, for for Newburgh not being as nice as Third Street, you know, the downtown. Uh, there are some good wines. Like yep. Adam Cara has good wines. Yep. Yep. I like the Long Play wine. Mm-hmm. Afee has solid wine, so you yep. you can spend a yep. little afternoon yep. down there. Should have mentioned Afee, by spots. the way. They're yeah. fantastic. Shalem, yeah, Shalem, oh, yeah, Shalem, downtown yeah. Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. Shalem often has food carts and does music and, and live events. Later. Also, well, and their food program too, even when there isn't a food truck, is their charcuterie program yeah. is top notch. Yeah. yeah, when they're right next to the food cart pod. Yep. Yeah. So if you live yeah, in, if you live near any of these places, don't for change, don't drive to a vineyard on your Saturday and just go to your neighbor and yeah. see what they're making. Yeah. Well, and I know I know for a fact Shahalem, they also will do blowout sales like yeah. on stuff yeah. that they're like, hey, we're getting in the new rosé. This stuff's, you know, 15 bucks a bottle or right. whatever. Yeah. It's gone. Right. And you don't get wind of those deals unless you're there. Yep. So, you know, you got to and but they've pretty pretty robust uh, yeah. wine club and everything down there. And great people in their tasting room as well. Yeah, yeah right. except yeah. for Daniel. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love Daniel. Daniel. Uh. <laughs> Don't leave us. Don't leave us. Now, uh, no, we love Shalem. Dave, did you ever entertain the idea of a downtown tasting space, particularly when you were getting started, or was that always off the table? You know, I don't know that it was off the table. I think my wife in some ways would have been much happier to have not had a vineyard to worry about. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it just, you know... When you're when you're in Ohio, it's sometimes easier to kind of visualize just having a, a, a retail space just to be able to sell wine sure. there. Mm. But then when you come out here, there's just the feel of being at a vineyard. There's so much about the experience, and you know, one of the things we always say is, you know, we've got you know what 600 some wineries here in the valley. Darn near all of them make really really good wine. What is going to separate you as you know, as Amen. a business. And so in addition to that, you know, so you've got to have the experience. Well, a big part of the experience is that sense of place. Yep. And, yeah. you know, when folks are here or, you know, kind of wherever, and you've got, you know, you've got the vineyards right here, you're physically that close to the vineyard. It just changes so much of your perspective yep. about, you know, what you're experiencing with the wines themselves. Have you ever had anybody lean over the rail there and go, I'm the king of the world? Because no. it's almost like that's the ocean and you're on the Titanic. Like, you're so close to the vineyard. It's right there. <laughs> you you know, it. Dang it! Now, now I guarantee you, the next ten people to visit here are going to try to do that. I'm going to do it. And just all they have to do is walk down the little stairs, and they can go right in. We'll we'll take people down in the vineyard. I mean, that's that's kind of one of the fun things too. Because you know, a lot of folks that see us, well, a lot of folks that see us, you know, this may be as physically close as they've ever been to a vineyard. That's true. Show them up right to the deck. 
you know? And yeah. so they'll have a lot of questions to ask. And, you know, rather than just, you know, show them pictures, sometimes we say, well, would you like to just walk right down and we'll show you exactly what's yeah, going right. on in real time? Right. This yeah. is what yeah. Verasion looks like in yeah. real life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. See all these ugly little bugs? Yeah, sometimes they happen. You know, you just deal with right. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're Country probably living. in the yeah. fermenter oh, when we're making our wine. Yeah. There's lots Protein. of fruit flies too, but don't worry about <laughs> it. We filter them out. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for this segment. We will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Haas Brutality. Now is the time where we tell you what's been brutal and what's been beautiful here in the Willamette Valley. And uh, what's brutal? Brutal what's is all the restaurants that are going under right now. Yeah. Yep. Like so sad. Some of our favorite chefs, you know, and I'm new to the food scene. So for me, this is a sort of a big deal um, yeah. as a new follower. But watching Pock Pock close the majority of their locations... Blue Star Donuts closing several of their locations. Um, Places you would not expect to have gone under at all. Montage. Montage has been a staple in Portland for years yeah. underneath the bridge. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Just I gives mean, you perspective on how tight the margins are. Right. I, I mean, mean food you, industry's tough. Yeah. You Even don't make a ton successful. of money in restaurants. And, and there isn't like a ton of staying power when things go south, especially yeah. if you have limited indoor seating and don't have the access to True. Yeah. pivot. Right yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to watch. Yeah, and here in the valley, uh, did you mention Valley Commissary? Valley Commissary. Yeah, I mean that's, that's one of my us. favorite places for brunch and I know lunch. I mean, it's just an awesome. Well, place. and their catering side was incredible too. Yeah. They just, were a very one of the closest things to Red Hills Market that people could go to. You know, for fresh, right. delicious food that they knew was going to be a, an awesome cooked meal. Yeah. Well, they were super reliable. It's yeah, hopefully, really really hard. They uh, find another spot and open back yeah. up. Well, too, you think about the number of folks that work in the restaurant industry as their profession, yeah. right? I know professional servers, yeah. um, line cooks, yeah. like this is what they do. Yeah. And with everything closing and not a whole bunch of stuff opening up again, you know, in the foreseeable future, you run into a lot of uncertainty for a lot of our friends, you know. Yeah. And customers, too. And, we and we customers. have a lot of customers in that situation. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. It's, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, you, you, we, we find ourselves a lot of times on our side of the table just trying to be that, that shoulder that, you know, they can lean on and that's yeah. just somebody they can listen to. Right. Yeah. It's hard, too, because I think all of us did as much as we could with eating takeout. Yeah. You know, all oh, of yeah. our paychecks went into the pooper, but yeah. it was still like three nights a week we're going to eat out where yeah. we normally wouldn't Trying eat out eat. just to keep some of these folks alive. Yeah. yeah. The numbers just like seven of the margins are so tight on food as it is. Right. That to cut back 45% even or whatever, it's like, well, there goes any profit we were going to make. And well, any restaurant that serves alcohol, you're banking on folks staying and having two or three beers, having a couple cocktails, mm -hmm. opening a bottle. Like, Well, and now places have to close early by 10 or 10. something. I think that's right. Everything's closed that's at 10 tough. in Portland. Right. All the tough. bars. And here. Yeah. Right. So takeout, you know, your, your profit margins were low to start with and you made right. up the rest of it on your alcohol sales. Right. Takeout at and this point is basically marketing, keeping your, your, your doors open. Right. Yeah. Keeping, reminding people your food is still good. I mean, it's. So that's a drag. It's tough. Yeah. Um, but what's beautiful? There's a flip side of that. Yep. So we were, we were talking about it and we just think that the fact that people do have to stay home and that people are being forced to learn to make recipes and go on YouTube and learn, you know, <clears throat> how to make something they really enjoyed. Maybe eating at a favorite restaurant that they can't go to anymore. Um, hopefully that has the effect on the kind of people that we all hang out with, the, and your, our customers and our friends and yeah. our coworkers and whatnot, that they become more interested in what's, what's going on in their backyard. Right. There's a lot of people in Portland, a lot of people in Beaverton and even Dundee, Newburgh, 
who don't even realize what they have right behind them. Right. When they right. plan a trip to France, they plan a trip to, you know, California, maybe Napa, and they have their they have their thing, but they don't even realize what they have in their own backyard. Right. So yep. yeah, maybe COVID is going to help right. point the light on, on on this area a little bit more right. and just get people more in touch with what's coming out of the ground in, the, in their own valley. Yeah. And what, what's I mean, being this made is around. the Garden of Eden in so many ways. Yeah. You go to a farmer's Seriously. market or even any of the like semi-permanent stands, you can get fresh beef and pork and chicken and eggs and yeah. Any vegetable, yeah. you know, for there's a reason we have three freezers in our house. Right. Yeah, you, you've got to have a, you got a pork person, around. an egg person, a chicken. Yeah. You, you've got all that stuff covered, and it's all right here. Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. And, and we've got all these people who are cooking at home, and maybe realizing, man, I'm I'm pretty good at this. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it sucks that these, some of these restaurants are closing. But is this ultimately ten years down the line? Is this going to make our industry stronger? Because now we've got uh, a new crop of people who are invigorated with you know their own cooking i mean look at all the people making bread you know yeah. <laughs> you go look yeah. at all I got, <laughs> i've got friends back east who are you know you you wouldn't think like you know six months ago that they were obsessed with making sourdough pizza dough mm-hmm. you know or, or whatever and then somebody else is doing it too and it's like so that that that's that's kind of cool you know you never yeah. know like maybe they'll open up a fucking bakery because uh, you know when this is all over and uh yeah it's kind of interesting yeah there are positive things that come yeah. out of horrible yeah. situations. You can cook alongside John Legend and Chrissy Teigen in your own in your own <laughs> kitchen. Exactly, Ohio's finest. And who better to who better <laughs> to learn cooking from, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're famous, Teigen, so they must be me? good at cooking. Yeah, exactly. Now, something else that's beautiful, of course, is our guest today, David Spector, who beautiful. is uh, famous. Oh, you're infamous, maybe more. Like you're no, no, no. Celebrity status. Celebrity status, <laughs> or at least you've been dubbed a celebrity by a celebrity. Dave, what happened? Tell us about the. Uh, the well, this, this is this is what happens sometimes when you just have a moment of weakness. So I, the, those of you that that are in, into any sort of sports journalism probably heard the name Tony Kornheiser, and if you've watched ESPN, he's done a long-running show. Pardon the interruption with uh, his former fellow uh, writer uh, Michael Wilbon for twenty plus years at this point, um, and so. What many people don't know is that Tony has also done a local radio show in D.C. in various formats over the years, and a few years ago he converted that over to doing a podcast. Um, and for many, many years, I have been str- I've been streaming. Even back when I was working as an attorney, I used to stream his radio show because Tony is is sort of like your old grandpa that you just you hear him tell stories. He's oh, a yeah. phenomenal. I mean, of course, he was a great writer, so he's a phenomenal storyteller and just the kind of guy that you're just you just love to he's listen so good. to. Yeah. It's just and it's yeah, and you just can't help but smile. So. Um, this was a, a few months ago, back in May. Uh, Tony's a big golfer, and Tony on the podcast was talking about one time about going down to play golf down at Bandon Dunes. So um, there was uh, there was uh, a, a nice lady named Duska Jensen who works at Willamette Valley Vineyards who had heard this, uh, sent him an email basically saying, "Hey, you know, we apparently thought he was actually going right then, and invited him to come taste in the tasting, you know, to taste uh, at Willamette Valley Vineyards," and I at that moment just said oh i've been listening to this show for years i'm not letting this you one can't go. just yeah. jump on <laughs> yeah I'm he's not mine. letting this one go yeah. so so i sent an email and, and basically you know said hey look you know gave him my 30 second elevator speech said you know we're a mom and pop shop we're a small little place we're in the heart of the valley well, got a, and you know honestly at the time never in a million years thought that i would hear anything back at all well 
I'm standing in the shower the next day, seven in the morning, and all of a sudden I hear him start to read this email out in its entirety. And wow. I'm just, my jaw is on the floor and I'm like, oh my God. Well, that was the beginning of something. Sarah! I, <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my lovely wife, Sarah, who does our marketing, you know, I didn't intend this as a marketing play, but hey, I'm not stupid enough to turn down something that's in my lap, right? So I, I then went to her and said, well, you know, I, I, you know, I guess I could, I guess I can market a little bit too. So, but what I didn't realize was now, and I mean, Tony has a nationwide audience and I've known this for years and, and his, his, uh, his listeners tend to be relatively well-educated, tend to at least have a little disposable income, but I had no idea how interested these folks were in wine and how just any little connection that I could make all of a sudden, I was getting emails and phone calls from all over the country, people who have never heard of me prior to this mention of the show. Wow. And all of a sudden, it's like, Tony mentioned you. I'd love to have your wine. And these weren't people buying like a bottle or two. This was like six bottles a case. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it's it's not, you know, and this is now this is the middle of May. So we've been two months into COVID shutdowns and all that. We're freaking out about, are we even going to make any mm. wine this year? Because, you know, sales, God only knows what's going to happen with sales. Yeah. This saved our year. I'm That's not going to lie. This thing saved our mm. year. Yeah. And uh, I, I've since sent him a couple cases as thank yous. Yeah. And he continues to every so often, he'll, he'll ding me. But uh, I'll, I'll now get visitors. Here, I've got people that have, t that have like turned, you know, you know, made special trips on their vacations just to visit us for no other reason other than we got mentioned on the show. Love it. Love and is this, it. He's, he, this is a sports show that he well, does locally. What what he what he says is and and it's true. It's it's nominally a sports okay. podcast. Okay, so it's a Kornheiser show. Exactly. It's yeah. mostly it's mostly focused on D.C. He will talk about national things, but he's based in Washington D.C., so okay. he's going to spend a lot of time there. But it almost doesn't matter when when you're listening to the guy talk. It doesn't really matter. You yeah. just find yourself connected. What's your take on this? Yeah, yeah. So you, yeah. The, the guy talks about local traffic in and around Washington <laughs> D.C. All right, that makes but it interesting. Exactly, yeah. it makes it right. interesting to somebody who has zero connection to it. <laughs> yeah, and and that's it. it's it's such a rare ability to find somebody who can just tell a story in such a way that it, it does not matter what your own personal connection is. Sure. you are brought in and you are enthralled. And it just makes you feel like you know you're you're welcomed yeah, into that that's part, and, cool I, and I think that's his secret. Cool. Well, that's well, how I feel sharing. about uh, Cole's awful oh, dating yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, right? nice, nice segue, Wesley. Uh, Cole, it's it's uh, it's story time, David. Story time with Cole. Story time with Cole. Oh, I, I've of... heard about this. Okay, let's go. Lay it on us, Cole. Okay. We got about five minutes. Uh, yeah. Five minutes. So this is a story about admitting when you're wrong. Uh, I was fresh out of college and driving my super nice Honda Prelude, 1989. Hot. Washed it all the time. It looked good. <laughs> so I was uh, in a two-lane highway um, in the fast lane. Somebody comes up behind me zooming, right? And I'm young and an asshole. So <laughs> I take longer than I should to get over. But I was going over the speed limit. So he zooms by me. I get behind him. I'm tailing him. We come into 25 mile an hour zone. He brake checks me, obviously. I don't know how I hit him. I was at least six inches behind him when he hit the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> but I hit him. So, you know, uh, yeah. I haven't ever been in an accident. I'm freaking out. 
<clears throat> but I'm also a young guy, and I'm trying to be tough. Mm-hmm. So I get out of my car. This guy gets, he's an older guy. He gets out of his car. He's driving a brand new Lexus. Mm-hmm. So in the back of my mind, I'm like, I am fucked. But <laughs> I'm still going to, like, hold my own. So he says, hey, asshole, you're going to owe me a lot of money. <clears throat> and I just said, you know what? <laughs> you're right. I probably do. But you were being an asshole, too. And he was just like, I don't really give a damn. Da-da-da. I went back and forth. And I just, I was, I was not being super calm in the way I'm talking now. But <laughs> I did say. It's hard to imagine. I said, you cut me off. I was being an asshole. I admit it. But you didn't have to cut me off. You didn't have to break check me. We were both trying to get here fast. Da-da-da-da. So he ends up leaving really pissed. I give him my information and I just say. I'm a poor college kid. Like, I know. I was <laughs> being a car, dick. Like... But, yeah. But please consider. So this guy calls me that night. And he just says, you know what, Cole? I thought about it. You're right. I was being an asshole. And you, you're right. You're being an asshole, too. But I'm a dentist. I can. It's a barely scratched up. I'm going to be able to afford to fix it. There's no need for it to go on your insurance. You know, like, I, uh, I apologize for my behavior. And it was just like this awesome. That's nice. Restorer of humanity, Love you know. It. Yeah, we could it use some more faith of that in these days. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But dentists and their Lexuses. <laughs> yeah, shout out to this guy. <laughs> he <was an> awesome <laughs> dude, awesome guy. Honestly, so That's down. Great. So Tom, cooler heads. Don't know your last name, but the dentist that I okay. think from Washington. Okay. If you're listening, Tom, respect. That meant a lot to me, man. It really did. I hope it was taught like, me a great lesson. Lexus. Yeah. So that's. That's the story of the night. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, well, that's going to do it for tonight. Thank you, David, for uh, being our guest today. Really appreciate Thank that. Thank you for having me. And uh, if you all enjoyed uh, today's podcast, please like, follow, share, shout from the rooftops how much you enjoyed it. And uh, we greatly appreciate it. And uh, that's about it for tonight. Thank you. Peace. Peace out.